0: Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. All right, welcome in. Cube Show. College football podcast that comes to you each and every Sunday because we believe that college football content should live throughout the year and there should be more of it on Sundays. If you're just tuning in with us uh, the last couple of weeks, what we're going to do through the season, I just I want you to know like what we're going to be, so you'll stick around, hopefully, and want to be a part of that as well. During the season, I run through the film as quickly as I can, Saturday night, Sunday morning. Uh, I just blast through every SEC team's games, and, and we try to break that down for you, and we bring you that each and every Sunday. Through the off season, we'll morph and we'll change. We'll talk about different positions around the league, coaching changes around the league. Obviously, the transfer portal is going to be big. Um, and then we'll get into some preview stuff down the road, and we'll talk about different games. We might have an interview or two, uh, but it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of different stuff through the off season. But there's content that never stops, and we're always brought to you by Wickle's Pickles, wickedly delicious. You guys hear me each and every week, talk about getting a jar of Wickle's as big as your head. My buddy Matt Norby, uh, who lives out in Nevada, is coming to the Auburn Ole Miss game on February 22nd basketball game, and he's like, "Hey man, I hear you talking about Wickle's on the podcast all the time, so make sure you load me up." on Wickle's Pickles. Wickedly delicious. I'll have some for him. You can get some for yourself at your local grocery store or if you need to order them online, you can do that as well. It will ship them directly to you and they are awesome. All right. Appreciate Wickle's Pickles. Alabama is really the story right now in the SEC. There's a lot of other little stuff that we're going to get to, but the Alabama coordinator search is plural, which is crazy to think about. Not having a coordinator on staff technically because really and truly, there are multiple coordinators on the staff. As we had a graphic last year, when we did the Alabama-Vanderbilt game, there were seven former or current defensive coordinators on the Alabama staff. Like even Dave Huxtable, um, obviously Pete Golding, Nick Saban were both defensive coordinators. T-Rob was a defensive coordinator. Um, and the list was goes like on and on and on. Charles Kelly, former defensive coordinator. So there's still guys there that have done it. Now Austin Armstrong comes in. He's been a former defensive coordinator as well. Uh, T-Rob is still there. Huxable is still there. Sinceri is still there. They've all been defensive coordinators in their career. Saban's been a defensive coordinator in his career. Jake Long's going to join that defensive staff as well. Uh, A guy who's coached inside linebackers. He's been out at Oregon, I believe, as a GA. So that's another young brain that Nick Saban's going to add to that side of the football. Where are we in these searches and what? What's Nick Saban really looking for? What do we think he wants inside of these searches? I want to dive into it just a little bit more today because I've talked to some of these coordinators in the past on both sides of the football, covering their games. I want to share a few things with those. got a story about Bill O'Brien that I want to share with you. So we'll kind of dive into that and and get into a lot of it from the Alabama perspective. I want to talk SEC coaches, and we'll talk some transfer portal, a couple guys that I've gone and studied. We'll share that information with you and just kind of keep you up to date on what's happening around the league. Stick with Alabama first. Let's just go defense. We know Pete Golding's going to Ole Miss. It's a really nice get for Lane Kiffin. It's an upgrade, I think, on that side of the ball for them, both as a recruiter and as a defensive mind and with coordinator experience. I do think the scheme will have to change a little bit. I don't think Pete's going to go run a 3-3-5 like Lane wanted the other guys to do. That aside, who steps in now for Alabama? Everybody has just been saying that it's Jeremy Pruitt. I actually got a couple of calls this week saying that there was a radio station somewhere that said that I said that Jeremy Pruitt had been cleared by the SEC and that he was going to be the guy. I'll clear that for you from my own mouth right here and right now. um, First and foremost, I would never say that because that process is not real. Um, There is no clearing of the league that has to take place. Now, there are conversations that happen, uh, but officially that portion of that doesn't happen that way. Uh, there are suggestions made is my understanding and discussions about, but potentially what is going to come with Jeremy Pruitt down the road, I think it is going to be difficult for Nick Saban to name him the defensive coordinator. I think Nick Saban wants him to be the DC and would love for him to be the DC, but he doesn't want to get into a situation in a couple of weeks or a year where it's going to hinder recruiting or hinder when he's going to have him on the field, things of that nature. Um, And there's no issue, I think, with the coordinator or the person, Nick Saban, being able to bring Jeremy Pruitt in. It's just complicated right now because there are a lot of unknowns and there are some obstacles that, I guess, how severe or exactly what those are going to be still have some question marks next to them. So what happens after that? And I do believe there's a great chance that Jeremy Pruitt ends up being a part of the Alabama staff. I think it's highly unlikely right now, as we sit here today, that Jeremy Pruitt ends up being the next Alabama defensive coordinator. So then what do you do? You start looking at some of those other guys on staff. You look at T-Rob. You look at Nat Charles Kelly's gone. He's not there. Since Sari Huxtable, and you get to some other guys that have served as defensive coordinators in their time, like a Todd Grantham, who's just there and brings a very aggressive style, who obviously comes from the Saban tree, coaches it a very similar way, And has been an analyst now around Nick and being able to help him with what's been happening. And I think that they kind of share a lot of the same thought process. But as we've talked about before, Coach Saban probably needs just a little bit of a different thinker. Maybe a little bit of a different attitude. Maybe a little bit of a different personality. And I do think Todd Grantham offers that. Like If you listen to McElroy and Kubrick in the morning on jocks, You've heard Greg McElroy say on our show a couple of times, former Alabama quarterback that won a national title with Saban, that Pete Golding and Nick Saban are very similar thinkers, similar people almost, and that he thought there were certain points in time that that maybe didn't allow them to make certain adjustments or be as different as they needed to in different situations. Kind of the opposite of Kirby, who when Dan Lanning came in, A lot of the landing stuff started to happen, and then Schumann came in, and a lot of the Schumann stuff started happening. It's still the same tree. It's still the same forest. You're just trimming it in a little bit of a different way. You're cutting the branches off a little bit higher. You're cutting the branches a little bit shorter. You're making it look a little bit different. So Grantham, I do think, would be in a little bit of the Pruitt mold as possibly being maybe a tad more aggressive than Coach Saban would normally want to be that might be something that he looks at as a real positive. Um, so I, I I think that if you were going to go anywhere right now, that's probably where I would go is in-house. Uh, but there are going to be more guys added to the staff, and we'll kind of see how that plays out and where that plays out. Offensively, the name that you continue to hear is Jeff Lebby, and I think that is probably the top of the list. Um, I do think if you look a couple of other places, there are a couple of other candidates, like, You'll hear Greg Roman. I think that that's feasible, possible. Um, you know, you go look at the O.C. at Tulane last year. I, th- I think that you, you probably have a chance right there. Um, and there are some other guys that I think Coach Saban is a fan of. But now with Bill O'Brien out, you know, the real question is how far out of, you know, I guess Coach Saban's wheelhouse with how his offense is run. And we're going to talk about that in a second. Does he really want to go? Because I think if there's a complication with bringing Jeff Levy in, who I think is one of the best play cars in college football. Uh, I think I said on the pod last week, um, where's Lane Kiffin, Steve Sarkeesian, um, anybody else, you know, Kendall Browse, I'll put Lebby up there with any of those guys. I think he's that good. But keep in mind, Lebby has only run his offense. And his offense is very different than what Coach Saban has run and wants to run. And if you if you don't think that it really works that way, I can tell you, we sat down with Lane Kiffin and you know, we talked about him becoming Saban's offensive coordinator and he went through the entire process of my verbiage changed, the names of the formations, the play calls that all changed. Like this is Nick's offense. I just run it my way. Steve Sarkeesian told us the exact same thing. You know, he said, hey, I run a motion-based matchup offense, but it's Nick Saban's offense. I just use the way he wants to run it to run it my way. And of course, you know, the last few years, Bill O'Brien told us the exact same thing. And Bill actually told us when we met with him, it's one of the biggest challenges in his coaching career. He said, it took me longer than I thought it would. I had to sit down and learn Nick Saban's offense. So Bill didn't bring any of his play calls. He didn't bring any of his formations as far as the names of them. Anything like that, it was all coach Saban's offense. And coach Saban told us the same thing. Like, you're going to learn my offense. You're going to run it your way but I'm not putting that on all the kids to have to learn everything and adjust to what you call it when it's already there. Like you're one guy, you can go learn it in a little bit of a different way and then run it the way that you want to. Jeff Levy is going to be wide receivers, sideline to sideline up tempo more often than I think anybody that coach Saban's had in. And yes, Lane was going fast when he got there, but Levy is the next evolution of that. That's why Lane wanted to work with Levy. Lane's brilliant with mixing in different styles of offense into what he does. Lane told us a cool story one time about how uh, I think he and Sark were on the same staff and Oregon came to the Coliseum, I believe it was was in LA, and just ran USC, like 63 to 10 or something crazy. And he said when they were leaving that they told Pete, like, we're going to go learn that offense. We're going to learn how to go that fast and we're going to learn how to go do that. Well, then you learn, you take, you know, kind of that West Coast offense that their, I guess their their foundation was in, and you add a little bit of tempo to it. And Lane told me that when he worked with Mike Loxley, like he used Loxley to implement some quarterback run to what he was doing. Well, you know, he gets with Kendall Bryles down there at FAU, and he learns a lot of the Baylor tricks, probably using more of the field, probably a little bit more of the tempo, maybe different types of shot plays, some different different type quarterback run stuff, they Kindle runs and Levy runs because they obviously are from the same tree. So Lane is one of those guys that is s- such a genius in going to different offenses and taking all these different things and putting it into what he wants to do. Uh, Levy hasn't really done a lot of that. Like Levy has been Levy and it's great. It's awesome. I love him as a guy and I love his offense and I love his ability to call plays. But he hasn't ventured off too much. I do view that as a small complication. Doesn't mean that Nick Saban wouldn't try to hire him, doesn't want to hire him, that he won't up being end up being the OC. But he he's also making a ton of money at Oklahoma. And keep in mind, when they did this about a year ago, remember the groundswell of support from everything boomer sooner? And this was uh there was a lot of sort of that feeling of ah, oh, we're getting the band back together and Ah, the old strength coach coming in. He lets a program run a certain way, and Venables is back, and they were back together in this year and that year, and he was there that year, and he was here for this year. So it was like, ah, here, come like they're all coming in on that damn wagon, and the horses are pulling them around. And, you know, as long as it didn't flip over like it did before that game a couple of years ago, it was going to be right back to what it was under Lincoln, who we were also told by a lot of those folks that wasn't really that good, even though he went. 55 and 10, or whatever the hell it was. So, I think just all of that part of it, like that mindset of, you know, this is us, like we're coming back, you know, this kind of like family deal almost felt a little pre orchestrated, which who cares? Fine. I'm not saying that's a problem, but that's why a lot of those guys wanted to do it. So, therefore, it would make it a little bit harder to leave. I don't know what's going to be with him or what's going to be with that situation. But because of this situation, of both coordinators not being there at Alabama, what we are beginning to hear now is how difficult it's going to be for Alabama to even be in contention in the West or compete with Georgia. You guys heard me after the national championship game. I said I would take Georgia against the field right now. And we're going to get to Georgia in a few minutes. I know what's going on with Coach Munkin. I know what happened with Rara Thomas. I get it. Every team's got bumps in the road. Through the offseason, during the season, whatever. Everybody's got to have some things go their way, and everybody has things go against them that they got to figure out. We'll get to that in a moment. But as we go through the personnel, that's one thing to say, we don't know if Ty Sims is going to be the dude. Or, yeah, you got this super athlete at quarterback, but can he really be a quarterback on every down? Uh, What's your balance, you know, passing offense versus rushing offense going to look like? Which that. I'll go sidebar with the Bill O'Brien story, which I thought was hilarious. So we're talking to Bill before a game and we had already spoken to Coach Saban and I actually kind of asked Coach Saban about you know traditional play actions because I had heard him reference in a couple of his press conferences, not just last year, but in previous years that it bothers him when people get mad at the offensive line for not being able to get a lot of push with where the RPO game had gone. And essentially, we're not asking them to do that a lot then all of a sudden we get this lead in the fourth quarter and we want them to turn into 95 Nebraska. It's like it doesn't work that way. You have to practice it. You have to rep it. You have to do it in games, do it well in games before you become a dominant offensive line running the football. And people would be mad that that group couldn't just go do that. And all of a sudden, you know, this offensive line sucks and they they ain't tough. They ain't no good. But Coach Saban had the understanding of we don't ask them to be that very often. We don't practice that a whole lot because we just drop back and throw the ball, or we run all these RPOs, and I understand with my experience in coaching, which is probably better than anybody else's, that we just can't you know we can't be lucky charms and be magically delicious and just turn into that. That's not a real thing. So I asked him about it, and he kind of told us like, yeah, we need to get away from just dropping back and throwing the ball. It's a lot easier to defend than also being able to run the ball, and then run in play action off of that with a good quarterback and good receivers. And we asked so pride about it. And he's like, he's can he asked. I was in the question. And he kind of interrupted me. And Bill's awesome. If you meet with him, like he's such a fun dude. He knows ball, but he's got. Great, he's just. He's like. He's a fun guy. And he's like, Cole, Cole, Cole. I, 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 I get it. I get it. Like I've, I've heard it. You know. Aside from the fact that I had a quarterback throw for forty seven hundred yards and forty seven touchdowns last year, like yeah, right. But we need more play action. Okay, I, I understand. It's hilarious to hear him say that because it's, it's also true. Like you had these dominant receivers and a dominant quarterback and actually not a great offensive line. The kid goes and wins the Heisman. You win an SEC championship. He puts up stupid numbers, but the play action wasn't good enough. So you understand a little bit of the frustration there, but it just all has to work and it all has to piece itself together. I think when we start looking at this year and we start looking at some of these new coaches that are going to be plugged in, maybe, maybe a coordinator or two that have, have not been on a Nick Saban staff. Uh maybe guys coming back, you know maybe guys that are just new to a certain role on this particular staff. then with what's being said about the personnel, you know like the receivers can't separate okay i i I kind of agree with that um you know I, I wasn't blown away with, with what any of the guys on that roster did a year ago. Uh, I do think that there are some younger players on the like i think seven could have a breakout year, I think do some really nice things uh late in the season. I think you got an incoming JUCO kid in Malik Benson that might have a chance to be that guy. You know, keep a, keep an eye on a couple of these young kids coming in, like Caleb Downs, the safeties coming in, Caden Proctor, that big offensive lineman that was committed to Iowa coming in. Don't be surprised if three or four first year players that are not portal guys right now end up being big for that Alabama football team this year. Which which is where I want to go a little bit of a step further from like a Nick Saban perspective. And this is strictly opinion. But I think Nick Saban hears all this and sees this, and and I'm not going to say I think he knows what's happening. He obviously knows what's happening, but I think he looks at all of this and he said, and and he kind of starts to lick his lips a little bit, like he starts to like nod his head a little bit, like yep, and like you know does the old like he's getting ready to roll because I think he understands that, and he'll always tell you that you you need a you need certain players to lead your team. Like a player-led team is great. But I think now, instead of just leaning on guys from one year to the next year or just knowing they're going to be those guys, I think Nick Saban knows he's going to have to coach his ass off this year. And I think Nick Saban loves that. And I'm not saying that any other coach in the league doesn't coach hard or doesn't work hard or their staffs don't work hard. But when you ask me, what about Nick Saban and Alabama do I think they're going to have inherent advantages with this year? I think one of them is this that I'm talking about right now that nobody else is mentioning. And it's not just being doubted. It's that I think he understands that we're going to have to figure more things out. We are going to have to coach more advantages into our guys schematically, technically, fundamentally, as opposed to just saying our quarterback's the best player on the field our Jack linebackers the best player on the field and figuring everything else around that. I think Nick Saban understands he goes into this year and says, no, no, no. We need answers for everything. And we need to coach these guys up for this instance and this instance and this instance. And by God, we got to do it better than we've been doing it the last 10 years. I think he relishes this. I think he loves this. I think he loves having a group of guys that probably doesn't know near as much inherently top to bottom about situational football, or, hell, maybe just football in general. And he knows he's got to go into it and get them ready to play, get them ready to see everything, get them ready to understand everything that's going to go into the course of a season. I just think he relishes that. And I think it's a part of him and his new staff, whatever it is when it's all finalized, that people are not paying attention to that he will go the extra mile with. Because it's not that, it's not that Saban never goes the extra mile. All these guys go the extra mile. Kirby Smart goes the extra mile. Like, Ryan Day goes the extra mile. All these championship level coaches and players, yes, they go all go at the extra mile, but like when we watched The Last Dance, what was most of our biggest takeaways as former competitors or athletes? It's all the shit that Jordan did to get ready to play every year, every night, every week, whatever it was. Like he hates this guy because he beat his scoring Pac-Man in the team lounge. Whatever it was. Like, he found reasons to do that. So Nick Saban still needs to find reasons to say, I'm gonna go be better this year than I was last year. I'm going to go be better today than I was yesterday. And this is what I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be guys that need to be coached more, need to be coached harder. And most importantly, that strategy is going to be more critical than maybe it's been in more times in the past, because you can't just lean on a guy to get to the right protection, to throw to the right guy, to get to the right run. Well, you can't just lean a guy to get pressure on a quarterback there for these other coverages or whatever. It just doesn't matter because we're going to be there. We're going to do it. So I, I think that's going to be massive for Alabama rolling into this season. Which kind of brings me to, I mean, think about it from this perspective too. When We think about Coach Saban, and it's all said and done. We're going to have all these numbers and all these channels, like whatever the like where they are right now, like fifty seven and zero against like non-con opponents or. 199 and 0 against like unranked opponents. All the national championships, SEC championships, like total games lost, whatever. I think one of the most insane things that we're going to look back on when Nick Saban is done is what other programs could have even come close to surviving the hits, like surviving the mortar shells that Nick Saban's team did over and over and over and over. Coordinators, quarterbacks, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, quarterback, star player, wide receiver, running back, edge defender, inside linebacker. Think about the early round guys that have come and gone. Like Julio Jones was there and he was gone and we were like, <laughs> never will be like that again. Here comes Amari Cooper. <laughs> Nobody ever putting up numbers like that again. Well, then hell, here comes three of them. With, like, Waddle, Judy, and Ruggs. Uh, you know, the running backs, like Mark Ingram. Heisman Trophy, first running back to do it at Alabama. First Heisman winner, period. Well, man, ain't you going to get better than him. Well, then here comes, like, T.J. Yeldon, who looks like Mark Ingram, but can also catch and, like, be on the perimeter and shake, guys. Oh, okay, well, man, he looked pretty good. Well, here comes Derrick Henry, who literally looks like a school bus in cleats and, like, can't be tackled and carries it 57 times a game. It's just, like to be able to repeat all those guys the inside linebackers over the years uh you know Ruben foster cj mosley reggie raglan i mean rolando McLean. it was over and over and over and over and now part of not having these type guys is why we've seen like this minute drop that people are all concerned about then you take the coordinators like look what kirby smart is doing as a head coach he was a defensive coordinator like it's insane uh Offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, they look at the quarterbacks like this is more on the back end here. But I mean, Jalen is playing the NFC championship game today. Uh, Starting, you know, Tua, maybe the most improved player in the NFL this past year. Matt Jones, starter for the Patriots, but like over and over and over and over. Uh, It's just insane. Like Steve Sarkeesian is the head coach at a Big 12 school that's rolling into the SEC. Mike Loxley is the head coach of a big 10 school Lane Kiffin is the head coach of a school that's like in the division. It is nuts to think about all these hits. I mean, you go back to there are certain schools like Pete Carroll leaves USC and look how, how long that dip was like Johnny Manziel leaves AM. That was a massive dip after that for a while. Um, you know, you could say Vince Young, Colt McCoy leave Texas and like, look at the dip there for such a long time. So it's coordinators, players, players in certain positions, and it's just repeat. It's a rinse and wash repeat. Rinse, wash, repeat over and over. I think we're going to look back and say, if not the, absolutely one of the most impressive things of the Nick Saban era at Alabama. So when we talk about how he's going to coach this year, what he needs to do coaching this year, I, how do we say this? You look at the rest of the coaches in the league, like, which coach handles their adversity the best this upcoming season? Because they're all going to be different, right? Like, all the adversity that all these coaches face is going to be a little bit different. Like, Billy Napier has a totally different set of adversity than Nick Saban and Kirby Smart do. We get that. Like, Brian Kelly's adversity is very different than what we're going to see in Nashville or Starkville. We, we understand that. Certain teams have rosters that are ready to go. Like they are on the start line, in their stance, like waiting for the gun to go off. Other guys are trying to find their damn track shoes or like haven't even made the team and don't have a uniform yet. So there there are a lot of unknowns in different places. But the adversity that all these coaches are going to face is going to be a little bit different. Some have two new coordinators. Some are first year guys like Hugh Freeze. Hugh Freeze's adversity is going to be totally different than Shane Beamer's because he's never been the head coach at Auburn before. So when we start going down that list, I'm very intrigued with how certain coaches handle their specific adversity this year. We've talked about Nick Saban's adversity, Kirby Smart's adversity. We already talked about a couple of things happening this offseason. Rah Ra Thomas gets arrested. All right, is Coach Munkin going to leave? We know all the other players that have left. You tragically lose two members of your football family. That in and of itself is enough to try to get your entire building to bounce back from, because that's something that we never envision having to dealing with with our entire lives. Not to mention, nobody's ever won three national championships in a row. But I have the confidence that where that program is, how it's been built, how it's been run, the amount of talented people still left in that building, the Kirby Smart and his staff will be fine. They have a lot of advantages of being able to manage. A lot of adversity that they've already been dealt this offseason. Specifically, we're talking X's and O's in football. And if Munkin were to leave, I think there are enough people around that things are going to be okay. So that's a very different adversity than what Clark Lee is going to face. Clark Lee's adversity is just, he has his thousand foot mountain in front of him, while everybody else's is much shorter and smaller. And maybe his is even built of ice or sand. And it's just going to be that much more difficult to deal with. Like we know his... Huge amount of obstacles in front of him. His is just kind of finding his place on the map. And I think he's doing a great job sort of getting there. They exceeded expectations last year. I mean, look at that win against Florida and, and what they did kind of late in the year. And even having to make a quarterback change and still sort of finding your way. They're handling recruiting in a very different way. Barton Simmons and those guys are doing a nice job. So his adversity is very different. I look at a guy like Sam Pittman and the adversity that Sam Pittman going to have to manage this year. Lose guys to the portal. Yep, that's going to happen to a lot of football teams. Sam lost a couple. But you lose Barry Odom, who also took Michael Shear with you as your defensive coordinator and essentially the guy who was the assistant defensive coordinator acting in that role, basically. And then you lose Kendall Bryles, who you heard me state earlier in this program, is what I believe to be one of the best play callers in college football. Man, that's a lot right off the bat. That's a lot of adversity to be able to battle back from. How does Sam manage that? How does Sam handle that? We're going to find out a lot about him this year. And I have a lot of confidence in Sam and his football brain and his network. That's probably the thing with a lot of coaches that we don't talk about enough is their network. What is it? Who is it? Where have they been? Who are they connected to? And on top of that, because of that network, who really likes them? Who really wants to be around them? Who really wants to help them? All of those things, I think, are very important. I have confidence in that portion of Sam Pittman as a head coach. But make no mistake, there will be a lot of inherent challenges coming to that football team this year. Now, you get K.J. Jefferson back. He's going to be with Dan Enos, a little bit different. But Dan Enos, probably better developing quarterbacks than Kendall Browse was, maybe if he's not the play caller. That's an advantage for him and his staff. And you also get who I believe to be Boy, it's neck and neck. But I mean you want to talk about best running back returning in the SEC, Rocket Sanders has got to be up there. Uh when it's all said and done, do I think Quinshon Judkins is ahead of him? Um if we're drafting, do I probably take Quinshon Judkins right now? Yeah, I would. Cuz I think Quinshon Judkins special. Uh the body control, the body balance, uh the power that comes with it. I do think Rocket Sanders even though he has breakaway speed, is just a little bit more of a grinder than Judkins is, but that's one of the things that I love about Quinshawn. Uh, I can remember, you know, reaching out to Jake Thornton, uh, who was the Ole Miss offensive line coach early in the season last year and being like, dude, who's for? Like, this kid is running people over. Like, what is happening? And he's just like, man, kid's special. Then I had to talk to his high school coach, and I learned about how Quinshawn Judkins kind of got to where he's been and essentially having to be a member of the varsity football team early on in middle school because they were trying to construct a high school football program and how he just had to grind and how they had to kind of start that whole thing from nothing. And he was one of the kids, even though he was really young, that they leaned on. And so he became a leader at a very young age and was a guy that lived in the weight room, a guy that always challenged himself to be better. The coaches didn't have to ride him. But his high school coach also told me, like, I pushed him a lot, a lot, probably more so than I do a lot of other players because I knew mentally and emotionally he could handle it. And I think that's why he told me, I, it's, it's surprising to nobody here just south of Greenville, Alabama, that he's doing what he's doing as a freshman because he was handling his business long ago. And the way that he carried himself and the fact that from an emotional standpoint, his mindset from that standpoint, he could handle it because he had been handling so many other things for them uh, that he was going to be just fine. So if if I'm picking the best running back in the SEC right now, it's down to those two and i probably lean Quinchon Judkins if I'm going to go one or the other. But Rocket Sanders right there in the mix, man. Like, you're not going to lose a whole lot with him, and you get a little bit of a different style back, like from a north-south perspective, like a guy who I think can grind out yards just a a little bit more, but probably not as explosive as Quinchon is. I think Quinchon's just flat-out a very, very special player. And if you think I made any mention of him leaving with Lane Kiffin to go to Auburn in the Arkansas game, then you're a moron. That being said, um, you know, we'll 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 probably go through a lot of other positions, say best player returning in the SEC coming up in the next few um next few episodes of the show that we do. Like Eli Drinkwitz, the guy that's got some different challenges on his hand. And you look at what they're doing through the portal. So they go get Miami quarterback Jake Garcia. We know the bloodlines, we know whose dad is. You go get Theo Weiss from Oklahoma, a guy who's played for four years, so a ton of experience because you know, Dominic Lovett's gone out of the slot. Um, so you're going to have to find some different guys offensively that are going to be able to help you out. Now you can have a real quarterback competition as well, which I think was something that maybe they have been waiting on, and Brady Cook probably needs to be pushed a little bit. Brady Cook was great with his legs late, made some plays, but consistency as a passer has to come on for Ole Miss, or excuse me, for Missouri. It absolutely has to. Uh, So I'm really interested to see those guys with Kirby Moore, the new offensive coordinator from Fresno, who was a quarterback coach there. Again, You bring in a little bit more quarterback brain power to be able to work with some of these kids, and how much can they help them progress? Smart move by Eli. Bring somebody in that, even if he wants to keep calling the plays, it's going to be his offense. Somebody who's been working with Jay Kaner, who I'm going to tell you right now, this is a sidebar from the SEC. If you don't know who Jay Kaner is, start watching the Senior Bowl this week. He'll be down there. Fresno State quarterback. Kid is 100% flat-out badass, period. All that needs to be said, his approach, his mentals, his his toughness, his physicality, his axes, his football acumen, all of it, every bit of it. And I think he's got real game too. Like I think the kid can flat out play. Here's what's going to happen with Jay Kaner Fresno State quarterback. He's going to get drafted like middle third, late third. He's going to go to a franchise. That quarterback's going to pull a Derek Carr, or that 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 franchise quarterback's going to get hurt. Or they're going to be able to move him and they're going to move him. And all right, we'll just go with Jake for the rest of this year, whatever it is. And then Jake Haner will end up being the dude. I promise you, I promise you that will happen. And Jake Haner will end up being a longtime starter in the NFL. He is that freaking guy. So you go get Kirby Moore, who has been not only with Jake Haner, who I think is one of the better quarterbacks in this draft, but he's been with Ryan Grubb, who's now getting over $2 million a year as a Washington offensive coordinator who has been with Kalen DeBoer, who's also great. Look at what Michael Penix did leading the country in passing yards last year. All that together, I think, is great news for Missouri. So, But a different set of circumstances just as far as how does he manage his adversity? Because the recruiting's going well. I think the overall trajectory of Missouri is where it needs to be, but we started hearing some of those whispers towards the end of last season, like, is this right? Is he the guy? Are we looking? I never believed I never bought it because who are you going to go get? Like Eli is doing the right things in the places that he can control where he's at right now. Does it need to equate to more wins? But yes, hell, it does everywhere. Every program has to equate to wins or you're going to be gone. It doesn't matter how you recruit or what you say or how you manage the portal. Just win, baby. At some point in time, it comes down to that. And I think the trajectory there for him is solid. Then there's some guys that's just totally different, and I wouldn't really know how to explain it, like, like Coach Stoops of Kentucky. I, Yeah, he's going to face adversity because he loses Will Levis. He loses Chris Rodriguez. But we talked about Ray Davis last week at tailback. Um, you know, we, we, we talked about that offensive line need to be better. Brad White's one of the most underrated defensive coordinators in the league. They've got guys coming in through the portal that are going to help enough, and they've got enough guys back on that roster. I think they'll be able to lean on the defense even more this year than they did last year, even though Justin Rodgers is gone. The front seven's got enough back for them to be pretty good. That offensive line's just got to take a next step, and I think Liam Cohen knows how to protect it. We, we covered that last week, but his, I guess his set of adversity is even very different than some of the others that we talked about. Um, you know, man, we, we go to Starkville, and, like, that's a whole totally different. Um, I'll tell you a couple moves that State's made that I like Greg Knox coming back. Uh, Greg Knox, obviously he's been at Old Miss. He's been at Auburn. He's been at Florida and he was the interim head coach at state when they beat Lamar Jackson in Louisville, um, in the tax Slayer bowl or whatever the bowl was called then in Jacksonville. We had that game. Um, Knox knows the league. Knox is pretty hard nose. He's pretty old school, but he relates well to a lot of his players. Uh, I think that's a good get. I think it's a really nice get. And then I went and studied Freddie Robinson, the Eastern Washington wide receiver, Not overly dynamic as far as, like, pulling away from guys and separating. Um, Catches the ball in traffic well. Works well in traffic. Big catch radius. uh, A bigger body. I'm not going to say he's, you know, an exact plug-and-go from Ra-Ra Thomas, but I think he's a little bit in that mold. And somebody that's been very productive, caught a lot of balls. He's had a lot of targets, and I think he's someone who will come in and be able to help them. But I'm just interested to see, like, what that offense looks like. Because we also talked last week about you know Vanderbilt quarterback Mike Wright coming into this system, what's he going to be? I, I don't I don't know, I don't know what Mike Wright's role is going to be. Is he going to legitimately compete for the job? Is he going to be situational guy? We're going to have to kind of wait and see what Zach Arnett and his staff want to do from that perspective. We just know it's not going to be air raid. And how does Will Rogers even fit in to what's going to be new about the state offense? Um, a couple of other guys that are floating around, uh, like we mentioned, South Carolina. Uh, and I guess, I mean, we could roll through like every team in the league and like their adversity they're going to face. Like Jimbo's got different adversity. I mean, hell, half that freshman class wants to get out. He had more guys at the portal than anybody else. But I think with Connor Wegman back, the majority of that offensive line back, the majority of that defensive line back, you talk about a foundation to build upon. And a lot of those kids are talented. And now they have played basically a season of football. They're going to be fine. Wide receiver, they're fine. Muhammad was great last year. Evan Stewart was great last year. They need a tight end. I want to see that but I think they're going to be okay. Um, Lane's adversity, meh. It's been a little bit of a letdown the last couple of months, but I mean, I think Lane welcomes any adversity because he likes to try to, try to stick it back in your face, so he's good with that. Uh, who else do we miss? Josh Heupel? He's technically got a starting quarterback returning. I mean, Joe Milton was the guy two years ago, looked great in the bowl game against Clemson. Uh, he's got a receiver coming in from Oregon that should be a plug-and-play guy. Not all, but a lot of the offensive line back. I mean, you lose Dornell Wright, who was fantastic, but you've got some pieces back that I think are going to be okay. You're going to be able to work with Goalish gone, but I mean, he call he he can manage the entire offense, so I don't think it's that big of a deal. You keep your defensive coordinator, you add some pieces there. That group wasn't great last year, so if they can take a step, they've added some depth to the defensive line. Like I just, he's so far past the expectations. I think his adversity is going to be very different now. It's going to be more. Uh, satisfying certain people on an annual basis, which is, can be just as difficult. We know that. Um, And then Shane Beamer, like Shane Beamer's got a little bit of what we just talked about with Hypo. Like he went past where people thought, beating Tennessee, beating Clemson, you know, putting together eight wins when most people said they were going to win three or four last year, which I thought was ridiculous. But he's got Juice Wells, who we talked about last week, and Spencer Rauer coming back. And now they're killing it in recruiting. So Early signing day coming up. You might get this a couple days late. This Nicholas Harbor kid looks like he's got a chance to end up at South Carolina. That's very real, which will be massive. They got a couple of huge offensive linemen that have committed for the next class. That's big. So he and his staff, whoever it is, however they're mixing it and matching it, and he's going to have a new offensive coordinator. So that thing's going to be a little bit different. But at least you got a quarterback to build around with a top-notch receiver and a couple other pieces that have been there. So it should be okay. That recruiting, though, I think is going to kind of keep the ball rolling and keep the momentum going for Shane Beamer when you're talking about adversity that they could potentially be facing and how they're going to manage it this particular year. Um, you know, we talked about Todd Munkin at Georgia. If he's gone, I think it's a big loss because I think he's a brilliant play caller. Uh, I think he's brilliant at finding matchups. I think he's his variety is as diverse and great as almost any coordinator I've seen. He literally runs everything. We talked about this on this pod down the end of the stretch of the season, just that like you have to defend it all when you defend Coach Munkin. So don't know if that's going to happen. It would be big if it did. And, you know, I'll, I'll be interested to see where Kirby would go to try to get someone who can act in that manner. Because, you know, Munkin's reinvented himself just a little bit over the last few years. Wanted to get more explosive. Obviously wanted to implement more tight end usage. Then he wanted to try to find different ways to be a little bit more diverse and add a little bit more variety to what he was doing on an annual basis, Where that's tempo, different formations, different run game. He's just fantastic, and he's, he's been awesome. So kind of some of the things we wanted to go to today, as heavy Alabama I know, and we're going to go through more guys that are in the portal coming to SEC schools in the next few weeks. We're going to talk about more guys at their certain individual positions that are the best returning in the league. Maybe go a little bit further in depth with that. But I mean, I think Judkins, if you're talking running back, like I said with Juice Wells last week, I think he's the best receiver returning. That one might be a little bit closer. It might be a bigger group of guys to talk about, but it's Judkins at running back. Rocket Sanders is right there with him. So that's going to be huge for Ole Miss and Arkansas, whatever adversity they face in the next football season. We're always brought to you by Wickle's Pickles. Wickedly delicious. Appreciate them. Again, I'm supposed to tell you to please subscribe. I think I think we're like doing halfway decent there. We might be like over 50 now. Um, rate review if you can. I appreciate it. Tell your friends about it. We will be here every Sunday with more college football content. So please continue to support us. We're grateful for you. We appreciate it, and we'll be back next week.